and welcome to this podcast. I'm Laura Horton. And I'm Michael Bentley. Merry Christmas! <laughs> Merry Christmas! So earlier today we've done something a little bit different with the Horton Hangout and we're not answering any of your questions. Controversial, I know. But what I had the pleasure of doing this morning was actually interviewing Laura about her dental journey and her experiences within dentistry and I just know you're going to love listening to her story because it's personal. You've been really honest Laura which I think is absolutely brilliant you know you've shared what I what you would say is the good the bad and the ugly and it really um, I think it'll really help so many people to feel that they can do more and they can be what they want to be because you have proved that from, you know, from a very young age that actually you made some decisions that led you to moving into dentistry a little bit by accident. And then, you know, the course of dentistry and what that was like for you. And I don't want to spoil it for people because I want people to actually <laughs> hang on uh, and actually uh, listen to your story, which I think is going to resonate with so many people, but also is going to help people understand understand why you say what you say and I think that's what came out to me is that when we're on courses and we're lecturing together um, and when we're building content for practices and we spend a lot of time um, we, we always spend a day preparing for every practice we go to which is very unique to the way that we consult even me that's worked alongside you for seven and a half years and very proud to do so I learned things that I didn't know about you and I can feel the resonance coming through whilst you were talking about oh my goodness I, I, I really understand now why you say the way you say certain things and, and why our development of why we consult and how we consult um, is the way that it is and I can really see our synergy in our journey which is very exciting. I don't know whether you want to say anything before the interview starts but uh, I think people are going to get so much and I just want to say thank you for being so honest. Oh, well, thank you for interviewing me, Michael. I have to say, I was shaking like a leaf. I was completely outside of my comfort zone. Michael's been saying about this for ages, and I was like, no, no, no. And then because there's a podcast that we sponsor for the Society of British Dental Nurses, um, I said to Michael, oh, can you interview me for that? And he said, oh, interview you for ours. And I was like, uh, no. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> There we go. We're ending the decade with me being completely out of my comfort zone, sitting on the other side of it. Um, it's, it's an interesting one because it was, you know, quite a lot of reflection there about things as well. So, yeah. So I would just like to say to everyone then, this is the last podcast of the year, of the decade. We're going to be back next year, continuing the third season and wishing you all a fabulous Christmas, whatever you're doing, whatever you're celebrating. And let's welcome in 2020 with a bang. Indeed. Enjoy our wonderful interview with the wonderful Laura Horton. Well, today is very special for me because I get to interview the wonderful Laura Horton. And for me personally, um, that is exciting because I remember watching Laura in 2008 at the World Aesthetic Congress as the first treatment coordinator I'd ever seen speak. And being a treatment coordinator myself, I found this a very inspirational moment to watch somebody talk about something that I was equally passionate about. But today's not about me, and it's about Laura. And what I want us to do together is to actually start to get a picture of how Laura has become a successful businesswoman, has had her own business for the last 11 years, actually built her business uh, in a recession, which is uh, a wonderful story in itself. But also Laura's got over 20 years of experience of working in dentistry. She's also a qualified dental nurse. She's been practice manager. So she has seen a lot of development within dentistry. So hello, Laura. Hello. <laughs> Such a new thing, isn't it, for you to be on the other side of the seat? It's a bit like... Uh, you know, one of those interviews on television. So first of all, I think, you know, for people that listen to our podcast regularly, um, they know that you're really passionate about dentistry. So I suppose my first question to you is, how did that all begin? How did your passion for dentistry start? Well, it's quite an interesting one, really, because like 
like many dental nurses, and this is what I've found over the years, so many dental nurses have a similar story that we've actually fell into dental nursing by accident, that it wasn't planned. I do think that's a great thing. But I was in a situation where I had finished school, I'd gone to college, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And um, that all stemmed from a situation with a careers teacher when I was in sort of, you know, the third year or year nine, as they call it now. And um, I hated this college course I was on. It's not what I signed up for. I signed up for it. It was um, something to do with travel because I thought, oh, I like holidays. (laughs) 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 That will do. Yeah, that will do. Oh, and then they changed the course and it was just awful and it was so boring. And the one thing I've learned about myself, (laughs) now I'm older and wiser, um, is that I get bored very easily and I'll lose interest very easily. So to keep me entertained is very important. Um, So this course was just dire. And my mum has this amazing motto in life, which my dad hasn't liked really, but my mum's motto is, you must do what makes you happy. And that's all she's ever responded through. You know, I've never, I wasn't an easy child. I wasn't an easy teenager. And all she's ever said is, well, you do what makes you happy. She's always been really supportive. Wow. Uh, yeah. So I wasn't happy. So I went home and I said, oh, mum, do you know, I'm really not happy with this college course. I don't want to go back after Christmas. Um, <clears throat> you know, and I, I want to work now I've always worked right I've worked since I was 14 I lied about my age to get a job um and I was still working so I was at college I said but you know I just I think I just want to work full-time and my mum said well okay you know it's not a good time year to look for jobs but but see what comes up and then in my dental practice in this area it was like a big housing estate that was built and then in the centre of it was a massive Sainsbury's, well, it wasn't massive Sainsbury's, but it was then, you know, Sainsbury's. There was a news agent, a Chinese, a fish and chip shop, doctors, dentists, you know, like a little community area. Mm-hmm. And that's where my dentist was. And I just happened to be walking past and they had a sign in the window for a receptionist. And I thought, oh, yeah, I can do that. So I applied for the job and they rang me and said I'd got the job. And then they said, oh, would you like to be a dental nurse? And I said, Oh, I'll give it a go. And I fainted in my first week. <laughs> okay. I went home saying to my mum, oh, I don't know if this is for me. And the reason I fainted was because the, the dentist was also a doctor. He was a Maxfax um, surgeon. Um, so what was happening was this patient was sedated and he was taken out and impacted lower eight I mean, and I just remember looking into the mouth, the, you know, the gum all retracted, the bone all removed, and just seeing this tooth lying impacted sideways. And I was like, oh, I think I'm gone. And my now best friend, Alison, put me in the recovery position and um, I stuck with it. I, my mum was like, just stick with it. I think you'll really like dental nursing. I think it will be good for you. I was really embarrassed. I was only young. Um, but I but worked how old would you be? Because our listeners, you know, wouldn't know. I was 17 then. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So a lot of our, um, yeah, so basically it was just really embarrassing. But the people I worked with were all mature uh, ladies. So there wasn't any sort of, you know, being funny about it. You know, they were just like, oh, well, it happens, doesn't it? You know, people faint. Um so yeah, so I worked there and I worked there for two years. I went straight on my, um, the dentist, Dr. B, we used to call him. Now he was the only one allowed to be called doctor because back in those days it was Mr. or Miss or Mrs. Because mm. they're surgeons. So yeah. we didn't use the European doctor, but of course, because he was a qualified doctor, he was doctor. Dr. B, um, he's now retired. Um, he was very into advancing his dental nurses. He was quite forward thinking even all the way back then. Um, so, you know, he got me straight onto the course, went and did that. The day I qualified that night, I started the radiography, uh, qualification at Hertfordshire University. Um, so he was really forward thinking. And wow. So where are we here age wise? So when did you qualification as a nurse? 19. Oh, no, no, no. I qualified quite quickly. Yeah. Um, so, and then when I was 19 is when I left there because it was a bit of a mistake leaving there to be honest with you and this is what I always say to people the grass is not greener but I was a young 19 year old I had a fantastic social life I was always in London 
and I wanted to work in London. All my friends are working in London. You did earn amazing money despite the cost for travel. And I decided that's where I went, wanted to work. So I went and worked for this guy. I mean, I remember I practically interviewed him and it was just me and him. And oh, I remember the end of the first week walking to Oxford Circus tube station, crying my eyes out. Oh dear. I hated it. And my mum had told me not to do it, not to go to London, you know, to stay at that practice or to look at another practice locally. Um, and she was right. And because I'd really sort of been so stubborn about it, I thought, I can't tell her. I can't tell her. And I was so unhappy there. I, I hate, I really didn't like it. So what, again, I'm a piece Whether of though, That must have sparked a different roadmap for you, because if you hadn't left that practice, who knows what it would have, maybe would have transpired from that. So you went to this London practice, you were really, really unhappy. Um, so what did that lead you to do next? So then I decided to be a temp. So I thought temping was great. I love temping. The reason I really like temping is because if I knew we were going out, you know, raving or something, having a bit of a hardcore weekend socially, you only had to give a week's notice for a day off. So it was brilliant for me because I could ring up on the Monday morning or the Friday before and say, oh, next Monday I'm not available. And they'd go, okay, that's fine. And I was like, wow, this is great. Yeah, result. I don't yeah. have to call in sick on a Monday. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to turn up to work on Monday like a zombie, exhausted. You know, this is just fantastic. And I am the type of dental nurse I can nurse with anybody. In practices, I've always been put with the most difficult dentists and I can deal with them. It's not a problem. Like I said, I get bored easily. I, you know, working with a different dentist in a different clinic every day was right up my street, I can tell you. I absolutely loved temping but had to stop it because the problem was you turn up at a practice you're booked for the day and you turn up and they'd go I really need you till lunchtime now and I'd be like well hang on a minute I've just paid what was then 25 pound train fare wow yeah yeah and I was looking for other jobs in London I was going to lots of interviews and there's a couple of guys I'll, I'll never forget and one of them who I just love to pieces and i love saying to him I turned you down um he doesn't remember even interviewing me so you know it's nothing special but um I was also at college by this point as well Monday Tuesday evenings and what were you so, doing at college so at college I decided I had to retake my GCSEs and how old you were you when you took that decision because that's quite a brave decision isn't it to go back and do GCSEs yes yeah, so I think I was about 1920 okay. because I remember it was Harlow College. Harlow was sort of probably the next stop on the train line, quite a major route. So there was a few stations in between. Yeah. And on a Monday and Tuesday morning, I used to have to get up, drive to Harlow Park and get the 7am train, get the train back to Harlow, go to college, finish at nine, drive home, repeat again on Tuesday. So that was a bit tiring but obviously worth it but trying to get jobs a lot of practices in London and it's still the same now isn't it they finish at six they finish yeah. at 6 p.m yeah so that just wasn't possible so if I was going for a job and then they'd say yeah it's nine till six I was like uh, oh, I can't do that two nights a week so I did turn down some really good opportunities because I wanted to stick at college that's good yeah it's really important really important so what GCSDs did you do and were they successful for you? Well, the first year I did um, psychology. Oh, I didn't think, I didn't plan for this. What did I do? Psychology and I can't remember what the other one was. Nothing like maths or anything. Um, I can't remember. Psychology and something or other. I remember the second year. I remember I got two C's and I was really annoyed at myself. So then the next year I did English Lit, or was it English Language? I'd already got a grade in one of them. So I did the other one. I think it was English Lit and um, Sociology, and I got two A's. So I was like, yeah, get in there. Um, so I'm really annoyed. I can't remember what it was that I did the first time. It was just so long ago. But well, you don't worry about it because you've achieved so much more since then. So. You, didn't need, <laughs> you didn't need them. Although, and I was talking to someone about this, actually my personal trainer at the moment used to be a dental nurse and we were talking just yesterday about how it used to say 
that you needed these GCSEs to be a dental nurse, but you just ticked a box to say you'd got them and it didn't matter. But of course, now for dental nurses, they have to have their English and their maths, don't they, to be able they to move forward. Yeah, and, they do. You know, what a, what a blocker that potentially is um, for some of them as well to gaining the qualification. Um, we were talking about that just yesterday. So yes, no, I didn't do uh, maths, can't be dealing with that. <laughs> uh, but yeah it was really tough doing college and then after all this 10 pin and it didn't work you know being cut hours there a job came up in where I lived Bishop Stortford in this massive practice and they advertised their hours this is what I used to find people didn't advertise their hours you wouldn't find out till interview and they advertised their hours and they were basically eight till five apart from Wednesdays it was nine till six you know late night um yeah. <laughs> so yeah, really the boat out yeah. In the, uh, and fridays were eight till, yeah and fridays were eight till four i was like oh loving that yeah. um and yeah it was a massive practice and i went in and this was the first practice that and i know we talk about this a lot salary banding and at the interview they said this is what you'll be paid because you've got your qualification this is how many years of nursing you've been doing and you've got your age geography so you'll be on this amount per hour and it was a fantastic hourly rate and I was like wow that's really fair and doesn't make it awkward with other people when you're going yeah. to a practice to, when they go well how much are you on then because everyone talks about it don't they absolutely everyone knew what I'd be on we all knew what each other was on because of the banding it was really really clever and you know I'm going back to I was probably about 21 then something like that so how long were you at this practice for because I know that your journey starts to move quite rapidly now doesn't it towards yeah I stayed at that practice first for you or did management come first no so at this practice I worked with a one of the the three partners it was eight surgery practice only one surgery was NHS and that was BT and I worked with one of the partners who did a huge amount of sedation. And I find it amazing because it was all private. There was no internet then. And people used to travel for miles to come and have sedation. Um, so that's what we used to do with him. He did used to do GA, which when I started there, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't want to nurse for GA. I said that right from the start. And then it got banned. So I was like, oh, that's a result. And then he, he'd done implant training, but not really placed any implants but wanted to get back into it so myself and another nurse of one of the partners we went and did our implant nurse training which was really good and then I did my oral health education qualification which I paid for they wouldn't pay for it because they weren't going to use it which was fair enough um so yeah I was there quite a few years but the last person that I worked with basically the the partner I worked with was a VT trainer and he said that he wanted me to go and work with the BT the following year and I was like oh my gosh you're joking I'm gonna be so bored I did throw my toys out of my pram I will admit it I said this is just gonna be the worst thing ever and that's why I think no I'm just gonna leave and um he said I really need you to do it you know the last couple have been a bit of a disaster I really need you to help and guide them blah 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 and anyway so I met this guy at the partner's 50th party I thought oh he's quite cool this isn't as bad, you know, as I was thinking it's going to be. And then on the first day, he did a clearance on a patient. I was like, all oh, right, yeah, my cup of tea, this guy. So um, working with him for the first year was absolutely amazing as a VT. And then I stayed with him the following year, his first year as an associate there as well. Wow. Yeah. I'd, so, and So then I'm nursing the NHS. So he stayed as an NHS associate. So then I'm having totally different experience back to where I was when I started nursing as an NHS nurse um which is obviously quite hardcore um now he was a lovely guy he was fantastic and he really supported me through my oral health education qualification as well and I've got a merit in that uh, he was absolutely brilliant I haven't seen him for years if you're listening pin you know I miss you um he's such a great guy and I actually got him to come and work at the last practice I was in as an associate as well because he's just got this amazing skill set as a person you know he's got a beautiful personality and his communication skills were just fantastic so um and isn't yeah. it interesting that as as a dental nurse putting you know you've got these shoes firmly on at the moment that the dentists that you work with really shape your career yeah absolutely and dr b you know my best friend Alison, she's um a hygienist 
Uh, she did hygiene therapy, which took her years to get onto because there weren't many places doing it. He, you know, totally supported that uh, in her. And she's even got her own direct access practice now. And we say all the time, you know, we do own a, owe a lot to him. You know, he's so encouraged. You didn't have to be a qualified dental nurse. You didn't have to do it. But he was like, you will do it. It's really important. You will do your radiography. I want you taking, you know, all my bite wings, PAs, OPGs. Mm. He, he was so forward thinking. Um, I do think it's because he spent a lot of time in a hospital setting. That's why as well. So he was very much used to the experiencing that level of triage. But the other lady who I haven't mentioned, who worked at that practice, who helped train me as a dental nurse, was actually a periodontist. Um, Tricia Whitehead, very well known across Hertfordshire, Essex, Cambridgeshire, absolutely amazing lady. Um, and she really inspired me. Um, actually, without me realising it at the time, as a woman, she really inspired me because I didn't realise, you know, you're new to dentistry, what on earth is a periodontist? You know, what is that? And then she's doing all these surgeries on these patients and I'm like, oh my gosh, like verge of fainting again. Um, but she's the one who got me really passionate about perio because to see what she was doing with patients was unreal. Absolutely unreal. And we had a hygienist in that practice like one day a week or something. But um, yeah, she, she really inspired me as well. She was absolutely fantastic. She was brilliant. So they definitely do shape you. And I think, you know, I say this a lot to dentists, don't I? You've got to believe in your staff. You know, some sometimes you have staff members who you the dentists will say to us, I'm not really getting much energy out of them. I don't think they're really committed. I don't know where they're going, if this is going to work out. And just our, my response is just believe in them. Just give them an opportunity because it might just be that no one has so far and you will be the first person to do that. So just believe in them, work with them, motivate them, support their, you know, growth mentally. And I agree with that totally yeah, and I would say yeah I would totally agree with that and I think it's so important isn't it that actually you know you can get sometimes nurses feel that they're very trapped and they and, and there's there's nowhere for them to go in actual fact in the present year that we're moving into you know 2020 and, and 2019 the opportunities for dental nurses now are amazing and I think that lends us nicely to your next chapter of your book maybe of actually you know moving into practice management and actually nursing flowing into another job and yeah. then you know moving into different directions because a lot of nurses you know do start to move in different directions and I know that this definitely happened to you. Yeah and I was at a point so I've worked in this practice I was working with PIN like I say and um, I'd been applying for hygiene and therapy I was absolutely adamant I wanted to do the therapy um, it was like my friend Alison taking a long time um, I hadn't even got to the stage of interview uh, and I, I got to the point where I was like do I even want to be in dentistry you know is this the right path for me then you know, as a dental nurse already, I, I'd pretty much done everything I could do. And I'd experienced so much through temping as well. So it wasn't that I wasn't unsure and wasn't aware of different areas I could work in, hospital, community, etc. You know, I used to go out domiciliaries and everything. So I knew of all the avenues and all the areas. And I was at this point of, I don't know if dentistry is right for me. And then the practice was taken over by a corporate. Um, and I didn't like it. There was lots of changes. Fair enough. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things, and I say this all the time on our management course, I actually, one of the, the final nail in the coffin for me there was the uniform. It was so uncomfortable. It was horrible. And I just couldn't stand it. And I was like, do you know what? I'm going to leave and I'm just going to temp again because I'm not, I'm not happy here. I'm just going back to my mum. If you're not happy, do something about it. Yeah. I don't believe you should stay in a job if you're not happy. If you're going to give, if you're going to be giving off negative energy, that's not fair on anyone else. No. We'd just had this experience at that practice where this lady had left and the practice changed overnight in atmosphere um, because she was actually bringing people down all the time. And I just, I've never thought that's right to be negative or down or be moody or miserable. And if you're not happy, go and get yourself another job is, you know, what I always think. So I did. So I went and tempt for ages and then the agency I was temping with, this time I was temping across Cambridge, so that was a bit better. And uh, the agency said, oh, we've got this 
practice. Now, when this practice had opened in the local papers, I'd seen their adverts and I'll never forget them. They did a full page advert for dental nurses in colour. And I'll never forget the sinks, the sinks and the surgeries were part of this picture. And I was like, wow, look at those sinks. They're so modern. <laughs> and I'll never forget it. And then, yeah, she kept putting my CV, uh, saying to me, let's put your CV. And I was like, no, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm, you know, I don't know what I want to do. And she said, well, they do a lot of cosmetic dentistry. So they do a lot of smile makeovers. And that's definitely one thing you haven't done. We can see that on your CV. So maybe that would interest you. So I went along for an interview. And the role they explained to me would be they're actually at the other practice they had in Essex, which was a good hour around the M25 every day. And it sounded like oral health education, which obviously I'd qualified in. I loved, it was amazing. And I thought, oh, brilliant. And I went and I went into this practice. It was the most awkward and uncomfortable start to a job role I've ever had. Um, because it turned out I was going to be the treatment coordinator. Didn't know what it was, obviously. And this lovely lady, Kathy, who'd been there about at least 11 years, had been doing the role and she was being booted out of it, going back to reception and I was doing it. I mean, talk about uncomfortable. Wow. An awful HR. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> but Kathy was a dream. She was so lovely. She really was. So that's when I started working for Ash Palmer. Perfect Smile Studios, Hornshire. Yeah yeah and so uh, you obviously you know you had this experience of starting treatment coordination so what year would we be in now because we're heading to uh dental nurse uh, registration for the very first time are we around two no so we're earlier than that so we're 2004 2004 so yeah, okay. yeah. So so in 2004 um similar positions i would say is that we're both doing treatment coordination and and I know that for both of us, it, it was very different to what we train now, isn't it? Oh, so God, yeah. can you encapsulate a little bit <laughs> of, because I know treatment coordination is, it, I mean, it really is at the heart of what we do. We love patients. We love verbal skills. We love supporting our dentists because mm. we, because as I think one of your phrases were earlier, you've got to believe in people, but actually as a treatment coordinator, you've definitely got to believe in your dentist, haven't you? Their ability, what they can achieve for patients, because you are ultimately selling their skills, aren't you? That's, that, that's what Absolutely. we're doing. Absolutely. Yeah, helping patients to make these important decisions. So for those people that have never done treatment coordination before or are on a treatment coordination uh, journey now, because um, I think there'll be lots of people listening because of your role in treatment coordination. And I think you, for me, I think you're one of the pioneers in the United Kingdom for treatment coordination. So how did it start? How did that develop? And why is it still a big part of your life now? So Ash had already been using treatment coordination. Ash was a really big forward thinker with his business partner and they were always in America you know they've done all the smile makeover training courses all the Larry Rosenthal and all that was the rage you know they really invested heavily in their career and this practice was a cosmetic and implant practice the only difference with the one in Essex was that it was originally a practice they bought it as a general practice converted it from an they've been on a big journey with it so it had this big existing patient base as well, which was obviously great, but the marketing was all around cosmetic and implant dentistry. So I was basically told, right, you're gonna do free consultations with patients. They want a smile makeover. Uh, here's a study model, here's a wax up, here's a medical history form, you've got 15 minutes, They're gonna, you're going to have your own diary, they're going to be booked in with you. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I just found it the most awful experience. Um, I really didn't enjoy it. I didn't like it, but I really liked Ash. I thought this, this guy's pretty special. I, I like him and I feel like I've got to be honest with him. So we had a meeting and he said, so how are you getting on? Like all excited, bless him. And uh, I said, Oh, I said, do you know what? I said, it's just, I just feel this is a bit rubbish. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, it's just a bit rubbish, isn't it? 15 minutes isn't enough. I definitely need longer. I don't, you know, I just don't understand 
what you want me to get out of this, what the process is, because no patients, hardly any patients were converting. The assessment at that time was £385. So there was a lot that needed to go into this 15 minute appointment to convert yeah. them. And, you know, it, it wasn't great. So I'd also had this experience whereby Ash had asked me to be involved in a treatment presentation or case presentation, as we used to call it. And it was for a husband and wife. Each treatment plan was 12 grand for each of them. And Ash said, right, I'll present the fee. Uh, no, I'll present the treatment when, when I've presented it and I've gone through everything, the risks and everything, I'll leave and you can tell them the fee. And I was like, oh, right. And he said, yeah. And I was like, well, how much is it? He said 12 grand each. I was like, oh my gosh. Right. And then he's like, yeah, then there's all the, all the alternatives as well. You'd have to explain all the alternative fees to them. And obviously I've what he's explained. So I was like, oh my gosh, 24,000 pounds. I don't even earn this a year. I absolutely freaked out. And I was like, how on earth can this guy be charging this much money? Like, what is this even about? Because even in Harley Street, I hadn't experienced this level of fees, right? Yeah. So Ash presented the fee. He was sat next to me. Our chairs were against the wall. The two patients were opposite and he had to get out and he was trying to get out, but I was so scared. I was rigid, stuck on my chair and he got stuck in between my chair and the wall. And we looked <laughs> like, honestly, we looked like absolute plonkers. And I'll never forget the man, Neil, his name was. And he said, are you all right, Laura? You look really nervous. I was like, oh no, no, I'm fine. So if you want that option, then it's 12,000 pounds each. I can go through the alternative costs with you as well. And he said, oh, do you know what? I'll think about it. And he never went ahead and I don't blame him because Ash didn't believe in his fees. I didn't. So why would they go ahead with us? So that had then put me in this, like, I need to know why this guy's charging 12 grand, right? I've not mm -hmm. experienced this before. So I then said, I'd already said to Ash, I need to observe you. I need to nurse with you. I need to understand what on earth's going on. What, what's in a 385 pound assessment? You know, what, what is in that? I've never known anything like it. So, so I'd already gone down this sort of like observing and understanding process. So then I knew the free consultation just was rubbish. I just knew it was rubbish. And I had this really great level of support from Ash. He was like, well, what do you want to do? I gave some ideas. He said, okay, brilliant. We'll just review them every week. So his leadership was fantastic, but also at the same time, they'd start work, started working with a consultant in the US called Bill Blatchford, who was a dentist. And um, he was very much working with them on their leadership and vision. And I had said to Ash, you know, is there any way they can support us or anything like that? And, and they did. So we had, they came over for a couple of days and they came over again and we had virtual support. So I learned a lot from them, a lot of verbal skills, a lot of language, that was the most amazing opportunity. It really was. And that's why, as we know, it's great to work with someone to support you because they see things from the outside looking in. Yeah. And they were just, and it, so it was Bill and his wife. And um, yeah, it was absolutely fantastic experience that went on for sort of a couple of years, really. So that was really good. And, and that actually, really supported you um, oh, yeah. an area that you were developing at a rapid rate as well. Oh, yeah. Things were flying. I mean, the average treatment plan spend for cosmetic dentistry went up to 14 grand um, implants, 25 grand. I completely zoned all their diaries. Um, you know, I'd worked backwards with all the figures to know that we needed six comprehensive assessments a week. We needed four of those to go ahead a week to meet the targets financially to support the business. So there was a lot going into it behind the scenes, huge amount of team training every Friday. I mean, we were fortunate the dentist didn't work Friday. So every Friday would be loads of training with the team. We'd do loads of role play all the time. Ash would give up huge amounts of time to do team training. It was such a priority to him. He knew he could be invoicing through 10 grand in that four hours, but the training of the team was much more of a priority to him. You know, he really was fantastic in that way. We had the wow. morning huddle every day. Um, do you know what I mean? It, it was, it was really, really, it was hard, hard work, harder work than anything I've ever done. Harder work than nursing for 80 patients a day, but because mentally you've got to be so on it. Um, and I agree with that. I think that's one of the things that, you know, as a treatment coordinator, if you've never done the role before, 
it looks like you're having a chit chat with a patient and that's all you're doing all day. But actually, <laughs> mentally, it's exhausting, isn't it? Because you've got to be on your game all day. There's yeah. no let up. You've got to engage the right body language, the right tonality. You've got to be doing the right verbal skills. You're presenting the practice all of the time um, and the dentistry that's going in that and, and all of the different systems that are involved in it. So it's a really big it's yeah. a really big role, as we know, because we obviously we do a lot of training within that role. So we've got to move you on a little bit. Um, so I know that treatment coordination was a, a massive thing that you did, but then you did step into the role of being a practice manager as well, didn't you? Yeah, so Ash had asked me, I'd probably been there about a year or so, would I like to train as a practice manager? And um, I was like, oh, no, no, thanks. And um, he kept asking me and I kept saying no. And one day he sat me down and he said, I want to understand why you keep saying no. And I said, well, because <laughs> every practice manager I've known is locked away in an office all day and no one likes them. And that's not me. I said, that is not me. I don't want to sit there doing admin all day with everyone hating me. And, you know, I don't like anyone else. And I said, that's just not me. Hopefully you can see I'm a people person. And he said, oh, that, that's good. I, I want to explain to you what I want because that's definitely not what I want. So what he explained to me was that he wanted a practice manager who was going to work alongside him to develop the vision, to develop the team. And it was very much about leadership, not management. And that was the first time I had this explanation and this language and things being presented to me in that way so it took me a few moments to sort of go right okay and I remember him drawing a picture of a circle and saying you know I want you to be the person not in there doing the day-to-day -day. I want you to be having the bird's eye view that's what the circle was yeah it was the practice and I was to look down on at the circle the bird's eye view and to organize and you know to make the vision come to life alongside him because it was quite a strange setup really on reflection because there were two business partners two practices but they each worked in the practice closest to their home and did run them day to day as their own businesses under one brand um so you know it was very much just me and ash um, and so yeah I was like oh that sounds a bit different okay great and the fact I got to do team training I mean I've always been about sharing knowledge I've always hated it when I've worked with someone who they know something that you need to know to do your job but they won't share it with you they'll say uh, oh no yeah. oh it just drives me mad I'll do it don't you worry but no I need to know this to do my job no I'll do it for you they protect their little knowledge bank and they don't share yeah. that infuriates me I was always the nurse who trained other nurses do you know what I mean so that that was great um so yeah and my first um what's the word I'm looking for discovery of compliance because we had lasers um and some parts of the country had to have licenses for them some parts didn't and we were in the part that did so um ashy's uncle uh, jay used to work at the practice and bless him he was you know lumbered with the paperwork and uh you know he needed support with it and it's like what is this this is uh, and this was the healthcare commission wow anyone remembers that um so so that was interesting um so yeah and there was constant changes big journeys that we went on and then ash um um no i then started managing both practices that's the story yes um, the practice manager had left a couple of years prior, pretty much as soon as I started. And in the other practice in Hertfordshire, which was only a 20 minute drive from my house, so it was good location wise. Um, what they'd done is they'd given each of the team members an extra pound an hour and shared out the management. And um, it was working, but not ideally. And one of my friends, one of my best friends, Cheryl, uh, she'd got a job there as well so I sort of knew from her so I was then managing both practices working in between both they were 30 miles apart I was treatment coordinating in both as well which just wasn't working out so my lovely Kathy I said right you you're going to do the role again because I know you'll be amazing at it and I'm going to train you and she's still doing it now in that practice even though it was sold many moons ago she's still their treatment coordinator which deservedly so she should be because uh, she was amazing and I loved training her worked with an, uh, the other girl at the other practice loved training her as well um and i'd always wanted my own business and that's where i had this moment of 
I'm going to set up my own business. And I guess actually I was quite inspired by Bill and his wife as well. Wow. So yeah. we're now 2008, aren't we? Yeah, so 2008, uh, nurses are going to be registered. And yeah. you go, right then, I'm going to found my own business. Yeah. You must have been mad, mustn't you? Well, my mum was absolutely against it. I've got a mortgage. Uh, I'd got no savings. I actually had debt up to my eyeballs, which obviously they didn't know about. Um, and But my dad <laughs> was totally up for it. He was like, great, let's create a business plan and sat down with me. And I had had oh, uh, about... That's nice, isn't it? It was nice, yeah, he's lovely. Yeah. And um, oh, he's a real feminist, my dad, because I'm one of three girls. So he loves, loves, he's so proud of us all, bless him. Um, oh. So I'd already, my husband, my now husband, um, had had this opportunity to set up his own business. He's a carpenter builder. And we'd already taken that opportunity, but he didn't want to, he didn't really want to do it. But it was such an opportunity to earn good money. And I was like, you've got to do it. You've got to do it and I'll do it all. So I'd set all this up with Companies House with, oh, there was so much with HMRC. It was unreal because of the construction business and all this stuff and paying people every week they got paid and all this stuff. So I was like, oh, I really love this. This is really good. You know, I really like this. And I decided to hand in my notice. And Ash said, uh, are you absolutely mad? You do know there's a recession starting. And I said, yeah, he said, well, I fully support you, but why don't you do part-time? I said, no, I need to have no money coming in to make this work. And obviously my now husband was very supportive as well, um, which was obviously very nice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the benefit was <laughs> because of the recession, the interest rates dropped, didn't they? So every single month, the interest rates went down, 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 down. And I was on a tracker mortgage. So every single month, my mortgage payment ended up so minimal, it was unreal. So that was really good because I didn't have to worry about making that payment. Do you know what I mean? It was so easily yes. covered. It wasn't like I'd got a two grand mortgage payment. It literally no. went down to a few hundred pounds. So that was, that, that was great. Um, it really was. And this is when Twitter was all starting as well. And I was given this fabulous opportunity by this guy I'd already come across, um, Tony, you know, marketing pirates. And um, I spoke to him and I was speaking to him about obviously photography was something I really wanted to get out there and do as well. And I remember him saying, it's the TCO, just focus on that more than the photography, which was amazing advice, which I'll never, you know, thank him enough for. And he gave me um, a slot um, the following January, January 2009, at his annual conference in Manchester. And wow. I yeah, 100 people. And it was being filmed. Oh, my gosh, it was the worst day of my life. But... Um, you know, it really supported me. It got me out there. I got to network with some people. I remember meeting um, who someone who I absolutely love, haven't seen for years, is Mark Oborn. He was at that event. Chris Barrow was speaking before me. Oh, can you imagine how horrendous this was for me? Oh, God, I can never forget it. So what was it like then? I think, I, I, I think one of the interesting things I think that's happened is that you you know you set up a business in 2008 you've been working as a practice manager as a treatment coordinator you've been very comfortable you're now fully trained as a nurse in all different areas you know you've got your radiography your oral health qualification your implant nursing you've got your exposure to, to all of the different compliance systems that are, that are going on and then you're having to stand up as you yeah. which I can appreciate as a as also as a presenter but also as an actor where I'm used to hiding behind a character you've got to stand up in a group of people and talk about something that was relatively unheard of in dentistry um a subject that most dentists would have gone I definitely don't need one of those um so <laughs> what were those early conversations like you know how did the audience react to the role that you're doing because if we went and did a treatment coordination course now it's like you know the doors are blasted off aren't they and everybody wants to come in and go yeah. we just want to know more about treatment coordination but I know that that's not what was going on in 2008. No and I remember that's that is where I met Chris Barrow and he was lecturing before me making everyone laugh and I remember watching him sitting there shaking I was absolutely shaking thinking oh my gosh I'm not funny I'm not funny at all. <laughs> 
I'm not funny. And I think I had an hour and a half slot and I finished in 45 wow. minutes. I was so nervous. I couldn't even talk at the start because I couldn't breathe. And it was filmed and I watched, when I did watch it back, when I had to do my next presentation, which was when you might have seen me actually at the uh, WAC, I thought I'd better watch this DVD or whatever it was. <laughs> VHS um <laughs> just yeah, to learn yeah. you know to learn of how awful I was you know to learn some lessons and actually because I couldn't breathe at the start <clears throat> it came across really well it came across that I was actually quite calm and that I was like hi my name's Laura and I'm going to talk to you today about treatment coordination but it was just I couldn't actually breathe to talk do you know what I mean so I focused on the free consultation appointment because at that time dentists were doing a lot of free consultations they clocked onto that work from a marketing point of view so a lot of dentists were doing it so that was yeah. my angle I mean there were people that booked treatment coordination really quickly people you know the forward thinkers that had perhaps been to America they'd been on this advanced clinical journey they were up for it anyway and you always get that, don't you? There is that pathway, yeah, that, that lovely curve. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was absolutely petrifying, um, without a doubt. But, you know, I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> Gotta be honest. Um, but I was forever grateful and it put me on a platform then. And the other thing that was good was that um, Ash had put me in touch with um, the wonderful Ellis Paul at Private Dentistry. And because um, Ash used to write articles and stuff that would go in there. So Ash had put me in touch with Ellis. And I remember talking to Ellis on the phone. Like He gave me the time and he said, you know, Laura, tell me, tell me what you could tell me what you what you're doing. And, and he said, I'd love you to write some articles on treatment coordination. We've only ever had American people feature. And I remember he said to me, and you sound like an English rose. And I was like, oh, he's so sweet. So FMC were always amazing, actually, and still are to this day. Uh, really fantastic company, really support people starting up. I think one thing that stood out to me when this all started was Facebook had just started, Twitter had just started, and what stood out to me were the companies that were out there that I'd had contact with as a manager, as a TCO, who contacted me to say, this is amazing what you're doing, how can we help you? And there were many, but my friend Amanda, who she's a very good friend of mine now, who worked for Ivoclar at the time, and Richard Collard from Medenta, uh, were absolutely great supports, as then were companies such as, you know, Vicky Goodall at Henry Shine, who's a huge inspiration. So what I learned was that, do you know what? Even when you're busy at work and you have these meetings and you are thinking, oh gosh, I really should have cancelled this. I've got so much to do. It is so important to always give your all to the person that you're in the room with, to be there and present with them, to not be thinking of something else. Because I was quite shocked by the number of people who contacted me to ask how they can help me. I really, yeah. really was. So that said to me, oh, do you know what? I did a good job. Uh, I was, you know, I was good at building relationships with people. But that if you are nice, people will be nice back to you. It's all karma, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it is. It is karma. And you're right. And I think, you know, when you are a, a practice manager, you are exposed. You are not only the face of the brand for the patients and the team members, but you're also the face of the brand for all of the companies that you are attached to that you're mm. working with that you buy products from that you are you know you're saying oh couldn't you bring a piece of equipment for us to trial because our dentist wants to do that yeah. if you don't have the right attitude then you yeah. are going to well it becomes a problem doesn't it whether yeah. it's do have the right attitude then people will bend over backwards won't yeah. they like you know yeah. my piece on is just broken is there any way that you could you know bring me one so that we don't have to cancel you know all of our patients today and I would have reps and I'm sure you would have reps as well that would come and go no problem I'm on my way yeah I'll bring I'll it and I'd be like, oh, I'm forever grateful. Yeah. And you realise, don't you, that in dentistry as well, and I think we have an amazing opportunity. And I think this is, you know, one of the things that I've realised in in working alongside you is the respect that people have for you. You know, I don't think it's easy. I still don't think it's easy 
and, and this is a, a question I do want to ask you, how easy has it actually been to be a female, a young female, and to be in consultancy, where honestly, most of the consultants, there are more females in consultancy within dentistry in 2019 as we head into, into a new decade, there definitely will be a lot more emerging, I'm sure of that. But back then, I can't think of that many, especially in England. No, they were all American. Well, well exactly. Like Kathy Jameson was, yeah. was an inspiration to me personally. Anthony. You know, but how was it for, for you? And did you come across barriers that made you feel like, oh, I don't know whether I want to do this? Yeah, it's not been easy, actually. They've been really hard times. And it's lovely what you just said, like people have respect for me, but there have been so many people that haven't and people that have tried to put blockers on what you do and make up stories about you and things like that, which, which just aren't very nice. I think the worst experience initially that I had was this letter landing on my door. And um, Ash and I actually didn't speak for a couple of years about because of this, although he's... A, dearest friend to me he came to my wedding you know everything's fine now but I did have this exposure opportunity with Ash and his business partner because they did do some training courses and I used to manage those and run those as well I was so skinny I have to tell you um, <laughs> from all these jobs um, <laughs> so I had this you know I did have this opportunity but they used to teach you know clinical courses and oh, it, it was great it was brilliant I loved uh, organizing that as well and Ash was really supportive but then one day quite early on I had this letter land through my door um which was from a solicitors that I was going to be sued um for loss of earnings which I mean I'm not a dentist so I don't see how I can do loss of earnings um and I hadn't contacted anyone that I'd come into contact with through that academy whatsoever I knew I couldn't I knew it was you know six months I think a year was written in my contract somewhere but I knew six months was the law I knew what it was um and I had taken uh, advice on that as well and I was like I can't actually believe it and then there are I just didn't even bother responding to it I phoned up Ash we had a bit of a, a little bit of a, well quite a big falling out about it and um and that was that you just have to learn from these things and move on but yeah I've had people that have you know still you know still now they say things don't they and I think you've just got to take it with a pinch of salt it is upsetting but there's you know that amazing saying from you know Gandhi oh gosh Michael I'm gonna do it again now because you know what I'm like with my Gandhi quotes yeah I didn't even know I was gonna go down this path um <laughs> so we've got this quote that I absolutely love which I say on courses and I always get it wrong don't I Mike so I've put it on you the do. slide now you do so I actually do death by PowerPoint um, just from that moment. But it's basically like first they they hate you, something like that. Then they dislike you and then they love you. Something like that. You know, one of these quotes. Um, <laughs> I'm sure I put it on Facebook. It used to be, I think it used to be one of the main pictures on Facebook at, at some point. But yeah, I think you've just got to get over that. I'd say the people that weren't supportive actually were women. Um, people that would make up things, make up rumours. And, you know, if we go back even four years ago, Michael, when I was pregnant, uh, January 2016, I had to hide my pregnancy because I felt that if I didn't, um, people would make up all sorts of fake rumours about things such as, you know, oh, Laura's giving up because she's having a baby and, and all things like that, which was absolutely... I know people say to me, gosh, really? Would people do that? And the answer is yes, because not everyone's lovely. Not everyone's kind. I don't understand why people do get like that with others, why they aren't supportive. You know, just last night I've seen on Instagram this lovely lady. She's gone out on her own, you know, set up this business. And I've seen this course she's done. And straight away I'm like, oh, that would be great for us to know about right can let you know now um <laughs> and i've messaged her oh please send me some links and information about this because i would really love to support you with this you know that's all i would be like oh gosh what's she doing i'd be like oh wow amazing let's support her so in that era when i set up it was a male dominated world for sure and yeah. there were amazing men that have supported me and i can't thank them enough um without a doubt and people that used to you know and probably still do slag me off and all these things well 
I've come to the conclusion that there is something that they fear within that. So, you know, I don't let things affect me because what's the point? I only want positive energy in my life. Yeah. You can't. Yeah, and you can waste a lot of energy by doing that. You really that. can. I think, I think one of the words that comes across a lot and, and what I think we have the privilege of, of doing, because we can't talk about everything because we will be here for like, you know, yeah. five hours and you've shared so many great things about your career, which I just think is wonderful. And also I think it's wonderful that you're being, you're part um, for two, the second year running as part of the Inspiring Women event in Leeds on the 6th of March in 2020, which I know that you're part of this year. Um, and I'll be, you know, um, coming to see you at that event. And it makes me very proud to work alongside somebody, you know, that you do inspire people. And I think that's one of the gifts of being in a consultancy position where we help practices, not only with training but also emotionally and you know with their concerns that they have because you know I think the roles that we've had in dentistry you know practice management can be a very lonely role you know being a business manager is a very lonely role being a business owner can be a very lonely role mm. um, and actually sometimes you don't have that network to speak and you know actually being able to inspire people i mean the, the the best feedback i feel that you know when i read from our courses and things like that is that you've inspired me today you've yeah. made me feel like i want to do something i mean you know on our treatment coordination courses you know people say you've inspired me to move treatment creation treatment coordination forward in my practice you've inspired me to be a treatment coordinator you've inspired me to be a manager you've inspired i mean it, it, it i mean that's something that actually money can't buy that, can it? No. It can't. No, and I think every single person needs a mentor or two to guide them and support them and to help them. Like my friend Alison, she's been absolutely amazing over the years. And, you know, it's been numerous people that you're able to reach out to and say, hey, what about, do you think about this? What do you think about that? You know, and I think it's really important that everyone does have someone that they can look up to, to inspire them and to keep them motivated when, when you know, you're having a bit of a rough day or week as well. Because without that, you are just on your own, on a journey on your own. We're all on a journey, but you don't want to be on that journey on your own. You want people no. on that journey. Yeah, I think, I think that's important. Well, we are going to have to wrap it up. We are, um, but there's one more thing we haven't discussed, Michael Bentley. Oh, what's that? Our love story. Oh, our love story. Can't leave you out of this one. <laughs> you definitely should. It's all about you. I'll summarise. <laughs> so basically... Um, I met Michael at this practice plan managers conference. I think it was for like a hundred people and um, they got us all there the day before and they had speakers and then practice managers talking afterwards. So really unique concept, really good idea. And the day before we're there doing all this IT AV stuff that night we had dinner, there's this table having a right laugh. And I was with, I mean, I have to say I was with the lovely Emma Johns, Sheila Scott. So I wasn't, you know, dealt a bad hand. But there's this one table having a right laugh. And I was thinking, who's that? Like, oh, and it was you on that table. Anyway, the next day I did my presentation. Oh, God, that was an awful one as well. Um, <laughs> because I, I remember at that point being like, I've got to start moving around a bit more. And then Les from Practice Plan told me it was like watching a game of tennis because I was walking too much. Um <laughs> And Michael went on after me and Michael's presentation broke on the first slide, which was the most important slide to introduce the whole 20 minute speech, wasn't it? It was. And the AV team couldn't fix it because Mike was on a Mac and I ran over and fixed it. And Mike just held this hundred people crowd. I didn't know he was interacting. I should have guessed really, but he was just outstanding. And I went to Michael afterwards and I said, we need to work together you are amazing and it just so happened i was round the corner from you on the tuesday wasn't i you were we came to meet each other and the rest is history yeah it was it was fantastic you know and i and i think i echo what you say that actually um consultancy for me I, I would never have done it on my own I, I think that's for me to say honestly because actually what what you do need is you need somebody to work alongside you you know that you can talk to 
openly and honestly. Um, we don't always agree, which is a good thing, isn't it? Yeah. You know, we've got yeah. you know, difference of opinion on, on, on certain things. But actually, fundamentally, we've got the same core values. Yeah. And I think, you know, for our listeners on the podcast today, I think your core values just, you know, just striking through, you know, we're not lying when we talk about the grassroots of dentistry. You know, you have worked from the bottom, you know, and you've worked yourself through all of these different areas. And I think what's delightful for me to, to have spent the time listening to it, and I know other people will enjoy this podcast immensely, I'm sure, is that actually um, we got an opportunity to hear your journey in segments and what's made you be the presenter that you are today and why you can put so much substance into courses, into what you're talking about, because it's your exposure to experience. And I always say that if you know your subject, you, you can talk at length about it because you you know it and you enjoy it and you're passionate yeah. about it and I think your enthusiasm um, for business and team development is absolutely wonderful um, and I hope that we are able to support practices for many many years to come many decades to come yeah. until we make a point of that we are going to retire because we both <laughs> have an end point in mind uh, don't worry listeners it's not tomorrow no. um, but, you know, and that's important, isn't it? And you always talk about work-life balance. And for those people that don't know you as well, not only do you manage a business, but you also are, you know, a wonderful mother to Harry, you know, um, who's three now. And, you know, you have managed that fantastically from somebody that's worked alongside you for all of those years. You know, I understand so much from, you know, working with, you know, um, you know women that are coming back to work and it's not easy and it's definitely not easy when you're having to travel like we do and you know to be away for hours on end and these are all the things that people don't see about consultancy and um, we don't like we don't moan about travel disruptions really and things right. like that. that's part of the job isn't it you know yeah. the mornings and getting ready and but also all of that work that you do to make sure that your family are okay you know you've got a wonderful dog called Monty as well you know you've got a husband you know you've got all of these things to manage alongside the business that you're doing um, and that's become a new experience for you over the last you know three years as well hasn't it mm, so yeah and that and we retain a work-life balance and I think that's so important because it allows us to keep the passion of dentistry alive. And I think that comes across um, in everything that we do, that the, the, the days that we do are quality, aren't they? Yeah. You know, because we prepare for them, you know, and they're, and they're full of substance because we want to do that day and it's been planned for. And um, hopefully um, this podcast has inspired many people to go, do you know what, you know, you can be a dental nurse and achieve so much. Yeah. The world is your oyster. It's not easy, but actually you, you can do different things. You, you, you don't have to put yourself in a box and go, well, I, I, I hate this saying, and I'll let you have the last word of, of just, you know, I'm just a dental nurse. Mm. It, it, it almost puts a, it hurts me so much to hear that when people are, oh, I'm just a dental nurse. Mm. I'm like, yeah, but you're not though, are you? Yeah. yeah. Anyone who says that about their role, I'm just a receptionist. I'm just a practice manager. I mean, even I'm just a hygienist. I'm just an associate. Oh, it drives me out the wall because you take the just out. You are you and you should be proud of what you are. You need to believe in yourself first for other people to believe in you. So my last question, and then we're definitely going to uh, conclude this particular podcast, is <laughs> what are your, have you got three top tips for listeners about having a business well okay well the first tip I'd say is really just what I've just said quite uh, you know just there you've got to believe in yourself so you've got to be really clear about what you want to do and you've got to be really strong about your core values and what works for you so if you're setting up a business and you want to do you know it's clear you want to go down path a don't let other people who will contact you and say hey I know you're, you want to do this, but how about jumping on with me and doing this? Don't do it if it doesn't fit with your brand. I've turned down 
many many things over the years i mean one big one cqc it's not i'm not passionate about it so i'm not going to get involved in it and go down that route uh, you know that's one example and that also happened to you michael as well didn't it and i was like well yeah. that's not what you're passionate about so don't do that you do need to find a passion okay so i'm obviously extremely passionate about treatment coordination it's the core of the business still to this day and will remain so for decades to come so you've got to have a passion because you can't inspire people unless you have a passion. And the last thing that I'd say is you've got to design your business around your life because I've had burnout. I've done that. It's not clever. And you need to do it right from the word go. Design your business around your life. Work backwards. You know, how much time off do you want? What do you want your weekends to look like? I know when you're setting up a business, you've got to give it your everything. But what you can't do is take the people around you that are supporting you for granted. You've got to make sure you've got time for them because it will all blow up in your face otherwise. They're great top tips. And that concludes our wonderful podcast. And me having the pleasure of interviewing an inspiration to me. It's the wonderful Laura Horton. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe so you can be notified of our next episode.